This morning is going to be a very unique morning, and uh, maybe we're going to look back on this and be like, yeah, it wasn't necessarily the grandest of ideas we've ever had, but, uh, but we want to try it. And so uh, basically, if you've been listening to announcements, watching the e-news uh, from Northwest that comes to your inbox, if you're subscribed to that, you know that this morning is what we call the, uh, the lightning round, I believe was the phrase. Anybody ever watch uh, Mad Money on CNBC? Yeah. See, uh, I knew you did. Oh, uh, there's a few. Jim Cramer, he has lightning round, talks about all the stocks. Only the thing is, he knows about all those stocks. And we want to forewarn you that we don't know all the answers to your questions. Some of you think this is Stump the Pastor Sunday. Okay? I already know one of you that thinks that. And I've warned him that if he tries to stump me, he will be up here in one of these chairs. So we're going to know where these questions are coming from. Right, Jerry? Yeah. So basically, uh, the idea is we've got a cell phone uh, text number set up up there that goes to a Google Voice text. It's completely anonymous. Um, So uh, we encourage you, if there have been some questions that have been in your mind that maybe we haven't addressed yet so far in this series called You Asked For It, we encourage you just to type those in right now and send them. Uh, And we've got David back there. He's going to be feeding us these questions as they come in live so I uh, just want to encourage you, whatever comes to your mind, it can be theological questions, cultural questions, personal questions, uh, you know, and we'll uh, do our best to um, turn to Matt when there's one that we don't know. Exactly. And have him answer all. That's why he's in the center, right, Jerry? Because he is the wisest uh, and most knowledgeable. By far. By far. But I get to sit on his right hand. One yes. on his right hand, one on his left. Only because our moms asked us if that was possible. <laughs> so. Nope. Did I just hear a mom joke in there somewhere? Mom joke, yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, so, uh, yeah, take out your phones right now. Go ahead and start those in. And, um, yeah, the first uh, comment that came in is, wow, did you guys coordinate the jeans and blue shirt pastor look? I have Absolutely. A little, <clears throat> I have a little bit of pink, but I like that one. That's why he's in the center. That's right. <laughs> I take my fashion cues from Matt, clearly. <laughs> So anyway, as good you can question. see, that was they a good come question. in live, this will be fun. So honestly, we wanted to share from the heart this morning. We, uh, we, we wanted to be open and transparent up here and just have this be more of a conversation, right? You think about Jesus in the way that he operated with his disciples, which is no commentary on us being like Jesus and you being the disciples, but the idea being they were constantly asking questions and having conversations. It wasn't necessarily just, oh, here's... The truth, and let me just preach this to you. It was conversations, and that's kind of the feel that we wanted to go for um, here this morning. So we have a couple that we're uh, that we're gonna um, go ahead and tackle. This first one um, is going to be along the lines of God's will. How do we know what God's will is in our everyday life, in any area of my life? I, I think that that <clears throat> is an incredibly interesting topic. Can you, can you turn me down just a little bit? Because I feel like I'm going to get really loud. And when I get really loud, I'm going to get a lot louder. Um, <clears throat> I think this thing of God's will is very interesting because <clears throat> we as pastors have people talk to us on a regular basis. They say things like, um, I, I think I want to do this. How do I know what God's will is? I've got this opportunity. How do I know this? Uh, or uh, a lot of times, some of you heard me talk about this, uh, there's a ministry opportunity that comes up and they say, I will pray about it. In other words, I want to find out what God's will is. And uh, I've been talking actually with my uh, almost 20-year-old son a lot about God's will and how do you know God's will. And over the last, I don't know, I was telling Jerry and Matt, probably 
seven or eight years, there's some things that have really struck me, and I want to give them to you just really quickly. I've alluded to them in, in some of our sermon series, but I think we make God's will out to be a lot more complicated than it actually is. Okay? First of all, here's one thing that I, that I think is, 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 is totally fundamental, that we will never know God's unspoken word if we're not following his spoken word. Right? In other words, if you take the revealed will of God and you are purposely ignoring biblical principle in your life, you are not in tune with God such that he would ever really communicate to you his unspoken word. So the challenge is that we walk according to biblical principle. That's first and and foremost. And then I'm really struck. I was telling Matt and Jerry this week with Psalm 37, 4 and 5, which says, Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. When I was a youth pastor, I had kids say to me, I love that verse. That's just awesome. All I have to do is like Jesus, and if I like Jesus, he'll give me whatever I want. I mean, how awesome is that, right? Well, the, the, the assumption is that we're delighting ourselves in the Lord. The idea there is that we are totally consumed with him so that it's hard to even distinguish between our will and God's will since he is so first and foremost in our lives. When we do that, we delight ourselves. When he becomes our center of attention, I, I think you get to the point where you say, what do you want to do? It's kind of like a good marriage where a husband and wife have been married, married for so long and they know one another so well that they can almost finish sentences uh, for one another. Now, that doesn't put us on an equal plane, obviously, with God, but we make him the center of our life. And I believe that when we do that, when we are consumed with what God wants us to be and with him being center in the foremost of our lives, I really believe that we get down to the point where we say, then do what you want to do. Don't make God's will out to be some complicated thing as if he's hiding it from you. God wants you to know what his desires are for you. And in fact, he's clearly communicated in his word what his desires are. And I think if we live that way, we'll be a lot less frustrated uh, in that particular area of our lives. So I don't know if you guys have anything to add to that. Matt, I'm sure you do because you are very wise. No, I think, I think the end of the day, what does scripture teach us about who God is? And is your heart in a posture to where you're chasing after him, leaning into him? Uh, I, I think a lot of times we get really, we overanalyze things about what does God want me to do? What does God want me to do? As opposed to, hey, he's given us instruction through the word, just like Brian said, about who he is, number one, and then what he would have us to do. I think there's great, great texts of scripture, I'm thinking of Philippians, I'm thinking of Romans, of just how he wants us to live and live out loud for him. That's good. Another question that, uh, that, that came in here was, what was the biggest mistakes you have made in ministry? And that's, that's always a great question to me. Anytime I... Anytime I listen to somebody who's a leader who I respect and they can be vulnerable enough to not be like, hey, here's all the great decisions that I made that got me to this point. Here's how I've been so successful. Let me give you these five points. That does not impress me anywhere near as enough, uh, as much as somebody who says, you know what, here's where I really fouled up. Here's some weaknesses that were revealed in me. Here's mistakes that I made in the past that I learned from. So I think that's a, that's a great question. Um, I shared my most embarrassing moment, uh, you know, in ministry several weeks ago, and I've got about 15 of those. But I'm thinking this question's more along the lines of, you know, a, a mistake or a misstep, not just misspeaking, but character flaws that perhaps were revealed 
And I think for me, early on, a big tendency in ministry was to be a people pleaser, uh, to kind of lead more by consensus than just really what I felt the Spirit of God was, was driving me to do. I, wanted, I want people to like me. And so, you know, I'd be in leadership meetings with our team. And what do you guys think of this? You think this is a good idea? What if we did this? And if I start to see some people around the circle that are giving me that look, then all of a sudden my confidence is completely shot in, okay, well, what do you guys think we should do? Okay, is everybody cool with that? All right, yeah, let's do that. And there's certainly something to wisdom in a team approach and everything. But I think for sure some of my leanings, especially early on, could be to try and please people and lead by consensus and make everybody happy rather than making a hard decision, even if some people won't like it, if I feel like that's really what God wants me to do. Yeah, and that's interesting to me because, um, uh, honestly, I'd have to answer just the opposite. Uh, that I think, uh, and, and a lot of it, you, as you get to know the three of us, you understand our temperaments are very different. Our styles of leadership are very different, which I think is what makes uh, working with the other two guys really great. But um, I look back at 27 now plus years of ministry, and uh, the older I get, the more I find myself loving people. I don't know if any of you uh, have kind of seen that in your life, that the, the older you get, you understand that people are what matters to God, and so therefore that's the most important thing, that you love people and you love them deeply as he does. And I think as I look back at, especially my early years of ministry, I think I spent too much time pushing a, a strategy and a, a, and a vision, and sometimes people get caught in a wake. And uh, I think that that's probably one of the biggest mistakes that I look back and I wonder, uh, and I, you know, God knows my heart on the issue, but, but I wonder how many people I might have hurt along the way. Um, and so that's a, that's a huge, huge regret. And yet, and yet, it's, it's like anything that we talk about, right? God's love covers that, especially when we acknowledge that and we move forward uh, in a new direction. But that's probably just the opposite uh, for me, that really not caring about necessarily pleasing people, but just leading courageously to charge the hill uh, without uh, regard sometimes for, for people. I would say for me, I probably... I'm over here with, with Jerry. I think some of the things that I regret and, and have learned along the way is I want to have make sure that everybody's on the same page before we even go forward. And if they're not, then I wait to try to get them individually on the same page and then move forward. And I think what happens is it's the expense of the vision that God gave us. And so sometimes I have um, stalled what I feel like God has told me to do directed me to do so that you will come alongside because I really don't want you to, I want you to like me. <laughs> so it goes back to what, what Jerry was saying like as well. You. Thank you. I like you, Matt. How many of you like Matt? <laughs> See, look, they all like How you, How could Matt. you not like Matt? <laughs> they all like you. I mean, you're better than Billy Graham. We know that. We saw that. <laughs> we saw that weeks ago. Everybody likes you. <laughs> Good. Well, thanks for your honesty, guys. All right, how about this one? Um, will there be animals in heaven? That's an interesting question. Dogs, yes. Cats, no. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Enough said. Pretty simple. Next question. Next question. Hallelujah. Yeah. Hallelujah. Matt, why don't you answer that question since you like dogs so much? Uh, why don't you? It's all of God's creation. Yeah. I mean, it's all of God's creation. Can we look in the scripture and say, hey, there will be dogs in heaven or animals in heaven. But um, for me to sit back and think, 
hey, this is all of God's creation. How is it going to look? I, I, it's possible. Well, we, do know possible. we do know there's not going to be fear in heaven. And because Matt is so fearful of dogs, I wonder if, or maybe your fear will just be taken away. You'll be with Jesus. He'll protect you. What, you know. I think somebody else up here is deathly uh, fearful of snakes, if I, I remember I, correctly. Who's fearful of snakes? Yeah, see, I'm not alone there. That's right. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, the whole thing is we're going to have a new heaven and a new earth. So everything that we see that's great about this earth, uh, nature and sunsets and animals and people and friendships and uh, family and eating and everything else that's great about this earth, we will have that uh, in the future, but yet without sin. So, I mean, we know, I mean, you talk about scripture passages, we can talk about, you know, we're talking about the lion and the lamb are going to be together, you know, in, in God's kingdom, millennial kingdom, and, and several other passages that would allude to all the greatness and glory and beauty of the earth will be there as well, um, yet in an unbroken, amazing state. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we'd have to conclude that there will be. Cats, the cats verdict is still out on. Yeah, for sure. Okay, that man. There are a ton of questions here, which is awesome. Keep them coming in. Um, What about this one? We alluded to this maybe a little bit back, but it might be good to clarify a little bit. Science says the Earth was created or evolved over millions of years. The Bible says that everything was created in a week. Can both really be accurate? How much does it really matter? And how should we discuss this when it comes up with? non-believers. Any guys have any thoughts on that? Sounds like a Matt question to me. The biggest issue right now when we take a look at when was the, when was the earth created is there's the biblical account where it's seven literal days. You have Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and you have Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. And there's a situation called the gap theory, which in there, there are a lot of folks that even from a Christian standpoint would even say that there's millions of years in between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. That's sort of where I have talked to several people. Personally, where I land on the issue, I'm going to say it again, personally where I land on the issue is that it's seven literal days that God created the earth and everything in it. And then on the seventh day, the course, that he, re- he rested. What do you guys think? Well, you know, I'm a, I, I say this often, but I'm a very simple thinker. It, 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 I always blame it on 20 years of youth ministry. I try to think simply. Uh, I tried to do that with middle school and high school kids. Um, and so I, I've, I've thought a lot about this. And, and, and I have been taught all my education, as these guys, I think, would be as well. We've been, we've been taught uh, pretty extensively about a young earth. Uh, and that's where I, where I would stand. But, it, but it's interesting that to me, for a believer... Uh, I have some friends that uh, I'm sure are followers of Jesus and will spend all of eternity in heaven that are convinced that the earth is billions of years old. And for, for me with them, my question is always, um, okay, let's, let's, let's assume that that's true. Could God have spoken it all into existence immediately? Did he really even need six days, right? And I think that that ultimately is the question for the believer. And I know we get into theistic evolution and did God, as the supreme being, use evolution as his primary way? I know we get into that. But the question for us at the end of the day is, is God big enough just to speak it into existence or even think it into existence? And did he need seven days? And I say, however he chose to do it, I land on a young earth, six literal days of creation. Um, however he chose to do it, he's big enough to do whatever he wants to do. That's what I believe to be true about God and his attributes and who he is. Yeah. 
And I think we touched on this question once early on in this series about the whole age of appearance um, you know, idea that if God created a man, right now created Adam, you could go through all the medical tests, uh, bone structure, test his blood, everything else over at WakeMed, and they would come back and say, well, you know, all the tests say that he's approximately 25 to 30 years old, when in reality he was 30 seconds old. Okay? So that's not to say that any of those medical tests or bone scans or anything else are wrong. I mean, these are smart people. These machines work. Like, this is technology and this is correct. But if you believe that God is big enough just to speak something into existence, it's going to have the appearance of age. And so I definitely land on the, the six literal days. I think, uh, you know, in Exodus chapter 20, in the Ten Commandments, when you talk about the Sabbath and keeping it holy... It's certainly speaking about six literal days there, when God says, you know, he created the earth in six days, on the seventh he rested. That was obviously seven days. Same thing in the New Testament with Jesus. I mean, it certainly seems like they spoke of it as six literal days. So that's, that's, where, that's where I would land on that. Um, what about this one? What are your top spiritual gifts? Each one of you, I think that's a, that's a great, insightful question. Rock, paper, scissors, that we're going to do. <laughs> Go ahead, Matt. I'm sensing a theme. <laughs> Go ahead, Matt. Let's put him in the middle. I always um, get accused of saying too much, so I figure as long as I can defer to Matt, I'm good. I walk away a winner. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, for me, I think that uh, well, well, I remember one time doing a spiritual gifts test in a youth ministry uh, setting. And the guy came up to me, this little this kid in the eighth grade came up to me and said, Pastor Matt, Pastor Matt, I have the spiritual gift of extortion. <laughs> what is that? And I said, well, that, that's exhortation, and that means that you're an encourager. And he says, I do that. I don't take money, but I do that. So um, when I take a look at you know, where, where God has truly uh, gifted me, it, it would be along the lines of the care side and the leader, in, in that side of leadership and the care um, I would say that if I was to take the test, I don't put a lot of weight in those tests, but where you are naturally lined up and where do you see yourself, it would be um, in the encouragement side. Um, and that's where I feel the care side and the encouragement, and that's where I feel like that that is where I am probably uh, in the best spot for me in, the ter- in terms of helping God, helping the, the mission of the church accomplish its goal is being there as an encourager, and uh, in the care side. Yep. Yeah, I would say, you know, I land on some of those as well. And I mean, definitely, I think leadership and, um, you know, just uh, taking charge of things and, and uh, leading things. I think certainly uh, some of the care gifts and uh, the gift of mercy and some of those other ones kind of typically make their way whenever I take those tests um, as well. It, 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 this won't come as a surprise to a lot of you, but... Uh, for me, it's probably uh, the prophet gift. Now, not some of you are thinking immediately, wow, I'm going to go spend more time with him. Uh, it's not that I am uh, foretelling as much as it is forthtelling. Um, that, that gift is, is an ability to be able uh, to speak truth uh, pretty uh, succinctly and pretty forcefully sometimes if necessary. In fact, if you look back in the Old Testament at the prophets, uh, you know, they came into town, they said what they thought God wanted uh, to be said, and then sometimes they left town quickly so that, so that they would not be uh, killed. 
Um, and that's the gift uh, of, of the prophet. And it's very interesting, again, as you see us, as we interact uh, during the week, even the three of us, uh, how each one of those gifts that we just talked about overlay uh, each other and help the other. You can imagine the prophet, if there's no mercy, and if there's no, man, that can, that can get out of control pretty quickly, right? You can imagine the mercy guy, uh, if he just, you know, really can't get to the point where he just speaks what needs to be uh, spoken. And I think that's the beauty of, of multiple uh, senior leadership as opposed to just one person is the multiplicity uh, of gifts because uh, just as in the body, um, you don't all possess the same gifts. There's a variety. That's what Paul said to the Corinthians. Uh, so that, that's true in leadership as well, and the church benefits uh, from that certainly. Yeah. There's been several questions on here about update on the new church building, the land update, and all of that kind of stuff. Several I don't know if we want to give a quick update now. If we want to, that's certainly going to be something that we talk about on the thirtieth. Yeah, we, we can. We can, we can do just a, a quick update. Just I'm, I'm looking at the time back here. Yeah. So so really, we we, we have to be done by ten fifteen, right? So we, oh, yeah, no, we're so good. We, okay, all right. We're good. Um, yeah, those, those are good. Things have not changed a lot since our last update uh, just a few months ago. Um, we're currently waiting for uh, the sewer. Uh, to be uh, built, a pump station to be built on the large property that is contiguous uh, with ours. Uh, that, um, that property and that uh, buyer for that property, that builder, uh, have, they've submitted their plans to the town of Cary, and so that's in the review process. Uh, we want that to get approved as quickly as possible because as that, get approved, as that gets approved, they will build uh, that pump station, which will be huge not only for us, but for our residential uh, partner uh, as well. And so that's happening. Uh, I think I might have said this, and I, I don't think, uh, Ed Tang, you're sitting back there, and so you can go like this really fast if I shouldn't say this, but um, there is a buyer of another piece of property a little further down Morrisville Parkway uh, that came to us uh, a few months ago, a few weeks, several weeks ago, and asked us if they could use our plan uh, to bring the water line from the Copper Leaf subdivision all along Morrisville Parkway right in front of us. And all we had to do was basically sign off and say, yes, you can use our plans that we've paid to get drawn. And whoever goes first then puts that water line in, which is, uh, Ed, very expensive, right? How much, how much does that cost? Yeah. So it's pretty expensive to get that water line, and so they've asked us if they can use our plans. And so as long as we let them go first, they're going to bring that water line, and this is a major national builder, <clears throat> that we've signed this agreement with. So that's going to be an awesome thing. Um, we've had some things that I can't talk about right now that have come up with just within the last three or four weeks that are pretty exciting, pretty incredible as it relates to our strategy for ministry on that new property. And we had a meeting this week about that, and I'm tremendously excited. I would love to forth tell that to you right now, um, but I can't. Um, but be praying about that. We're talking to people about our residential property, and we know as, long, as soon as that sewer and that water are there, um, that we're going we're gonna to get a, a residential partner, and, um, and we would love uh, to start by late spring, early summer uh, next year, and, um, and I believe if God opens just a few doors, uh, that's going to happen. So thanks for being faithful and giving. Uh, those of you that have have pledged and being faithful to that pledge, that's been awesome. Um, we've been able to take a lot of the money that's come in 
and um, put it down toward our bridge loan temporarily on the land uh, so that we don't have to pay interest on that money, which obviously will all come back to us as soon as we close on the residential property. But as you've given, we've been able to do that. We've had some overages in our ministry fund this year. We've been able to take that money and throw that uh, against, the, uh, against the bridge loan on the property. So I, I just want to say, and I know these guys would echo that, thanks for being faithful and giving. As God has blessed you, uh, giving to the Northwest and entrusting us uh, to do the right things with that, um, we, we believe that, that, that God's going to do some, some really incredible things in the next uh, few months. Yeah, going right along with that, here's a great question. How do you measure success as a church? He just talked. He just talked. It's your turn. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think uh, certainly you know when you talk about our family chat and annual reports, and you can throw statistics up there about hey, here's you know here's where we are financially, and here's how our church has grown in the last year. Here's the great things that we're doing around the world, and those are all great. And certainly, when you run around in pastoral circles and you're talking to other guys, and when you talk about we've got a really successful church, if you if you talk to them a little bit more and read between the lines, that equals bodies, and buildings, and budget, right? Like, oh, we've got this many people coming on a Sunday morning, and we've got this amount of money that we're going to be spending on buildings, and here's what our budget is, and like, externally, that looks pretty successful. Well, when you look in Scripture and you look at the New Testament, there's a much different uh, measuring of success. Certainly, those things are very important, and numbers tell a story, and we praise God for all of those great things. But I would say, and I could talk about this for an hour, but to whittle it down, I mean, success is going to be uh, that we are a church that is preaching the gospel and discipling our people who are also then making disciples. So it's a multiplying type of situation. It's not just, hey, we want to draw a big crowd on Sunday mornings and we want a cute little message that's going to inspire them and have them walking out feeling good until their next fix seven literal days from now. But we want way more than that. We want this to be just a tiny little taste. And yeah, we're going to get together and we're going to talk about scripture and wrestle with it. But it's going to really look like the, the, the real work of the church is going to happen outside of these walls. And impacting each other and training each other, discipling each other and reaching out to your neighbors, to the people that are on your street. So that the deep impact of a Northwest Community Church is not going to be just what happens on Sunday mornings. I was going to forth tell, but you go ahead. <laughs> I think I heard it one time said, we're judged based on, okay, number one, are we making disciples who make disciples? He said, go therefore and make disciples. So I think I agree 100% with Jerry, and I think all of us could, could echo this. Our passion is to see you grow up in Christ, to watch what God did and what said he would do. And Philippians 1, 6, he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. And part of that is, if you're a mature believer in Jesus, you're partnering with someone who is not a mature believer in Jesus, and get them to that place, and then he makes one, and then you make one, and then at the end of the day, we're judged or we're looked at as in not the success of our, how many seats we fill, but how many people we send out with the gospel. So really, it's not our seating capacity, it's our sending capacity. Okay? When I say sending, that'll I'm preach. saying... That'll preach right there. That will. Go stand. Okay. Do it. <laughs> What, what, I'm, what, I'm, what I mean by that is you are sent in your workplace with the gospel. You might be sent, many of you might in this room might be sent, hey, 
you're going to be sent to Haiti. You're going to be sent to Spain. You're going to be sent to some of the places that maybe we haven't identified yet, but God has burdened you to go to those places. But at the end of the day, we're all sent, whether you're a teacher, stay-at-home mom, uh, pastor, engineer, whatever the case is, you are being sent each and every day. And I think we're going to see that in, in a week from Monday when we unleash the church in Serve Your City as far as our involvement in that. I think that's a measure of biblical success. I, I would put it this way. When, um, when we have very few people in the bleachers spectating and lots of players on the field, um, that to me is, is certainly ministry, uh, ministry success. And, but if we've got a lot of people that are just watching while a few people do it on the, on the field, um, which is typical, I think, in churches, then I don't think that that's what God intended the church. Well, I know that's not what God intended the church to be. So we'll have a good measure uh, that week uh, of if, we are, if we're unleashed and we find our place and we, we leave this place and we're, we're involved. Yeah. So. yeah, yeah, I can echo that. And I love the involvement aspect, too, even of being portable. Uh, you know, I talk to my other ministry friends and share with them that, like, you know, there's some unique challenges for sure about being portable. Um, but the community amongst the people that are here at 7 o'clock in the morning working hard, setting all this stuff up from scratch, you know, that's involvement. That's skin in the game. And so often people are just content just to kind of shop around to churches and go to a place where they're comfortable and they can kind of come in late and leave early and beat the crowd uh, rather than really diving in and actually being a part of what God's doing. I love our percentages of people that are involved in life group. I mean, when I talk to other pastors and I tell them, man, we've got, you know, 70% of our adults roughly or whatever it is uh, that, that are engaged in a small group ministry that blows them away hey before you move to that next question too and i was just thinking this and i joked with them right before the service this to me is success right here you guys are all in the same life group right all four of these couples are in the same life group the lincolnbacks they're going to join the life group but they're all these these couples and to me and i know these guys would say the same thing that's success they do life together they serve together they bear one another's burdens that's what we want to see at Northwest. That's it, right there. Lincoln Backs get involved with their life group. You're gonna, you're gonna love that. <laughs> love it. <laughs> love it. Yeah. So you probably start having babies then too if you get involved in that life group because they're I'm just telling you. He said we'll move. All right. Awesome. Next question. All right. Um, yeah, so this one is, uh, is, is really good. Um, somebody's asking the question, God has forgiven us of our sinful past. How do we forgive ourselves? How do we get past the regret and the guilt so that we can focus on God's will going forward? It's the gospel. Plain and simple, it's the gospel. It is the gospel because the gospel is, is, represents good news and bad news. The bad news is that we are sinners and we need Jesus. And the good news is that he came to save us. And so if you're sitting here saying, God has forgiven us our sinful past, then how do we forgive him? I would encourage you to keep preaching the gospel to yourself. Keep saying it to yourself. The Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and do what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not just some, but all unrighteousness. If, if, that's, if that's where you are, I would write and memorize that verse because God is a God who does not lie. And he says he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I go back to Philippians 1.6 where it says, He who began a good work in you will see it through to completion 
and I hope that that would encourage you. And we talked a few weeks ago about the verse that, that, that talks about how uh, God removes our sin as far as the east is from the west, and he remembers it no more. And we talked about that idea of it's not that God goes, oh, I forgot that, right? I mean, he's omniscient, so he knows everything. The idea there is not in the way we think that he forgets it. The idea is that he no longer holds it against us, right? Yeah. That's true forgiveness, whether it's with your spouse, with one of your kids, a coworker, a friend, when you no longer uh, hold that against somebody. And that's what the, the, the scripture says. That's what God does for us. He no longer holds it against us. And I would say that if God doesn't hold us, uh, if, if he doesn't hold that against us anymore, why would we hold it against uh, ourselves? And that's just a ploy of Satan, I really believe, in order to, to just put us in a place, in a box where he convinces us that we're no longer usable because of the mistakes that we made. I mean, I, I would be first and foremost to say up here that if that's the case, I'm not qualified to be one of your pastors this morning. Uh, the Apostle Paul wasn't qualified to write more than half of the New Testament, if that's the standard, right? Uh, but God's grace and his mercy uh, are great. Uh, and that's, uh, that's awesome. And that, as Matt said, that's found uh, in the gospel. Yep, so. Yeah, I agree, and Philippians 1.6 is a verse that came to my, my mind as well. Uh, but also where Paul says, I think it's also in Philippians, I couldn't find it right offhand, um, it might be in the beginning of Colossians, where he says, let us now live up to what we have already attained. So it's almost like an identity crisis, and I totally get it, I, I resonate with that. It's like, all right, God, how could you use me because I just, I, I failed so many times, but it's almost as if God's saying, you know what? This is what you've attained. This is who you are in Christ, in my son. You now have his righteousness, according to the book of Romans. So let us just live up to that. And it is possible to live up to that. So I really think it's kind of an identity crisis. We want to be named by what we did before. And that's how, by default, we just we know ourselves. And we can't get over that. And God's saying, I don't see that anymore. This is who I know you as now. And so you just need to live in that. Cool. Yeah. Um, let's see. How about this one? How do we reach the people of Northwest Cary? They often have completely different culture and beliefs. I, I think one of the things for me, I've, I've become uh, convinced of this when you look at our community and you look at the diversity in our community. It's interesting as we have friends that come in from out of town and uh, you know, they see our community and they're just amazed at the different nationalities uh, that are here that are present in Northwest Cary. And I spent um, 11 years on the other corner of Cary, which looks very different. Neighborhoods are very different than they are on this side of town. And you think about ministry strategies, which we talk a lot about. Um, and here's the one, and I know Matt, Matt, you'll, you'll probably uh, want to jump on this, uh, is just as we befriend those people that God's that God puts into our circle of influence. It's, it's amazing to me that as you love on those next-door neighbors, those people that play with your kids, uh, that are in your kid's school, that work beside you, as you love on them, as you build relationships with them, uh, I, I believe that's the best way to reach people is with relationships uh, and just taking the time to get to know them. I have uh, had, the, had the, the privilege, some of you heard me talk about this, we sold our home uh, a few years ago, uh, to an Indian couple. This was the first home that they'd ever bought uh, in America. Uh, professional couple, uh, 
educated beyond probably what they should be. Very smart people, very kind people. And God's given us a great opportunity to be involved in their lives. And I'm so thankful for that. We're so very different. Um, And then hearing some of the stories from them about how they feel when they get to America. And yes, they have the education and they get the job and and all of those things. And yet they feel sometimes like those of us that have been here don't really want them here. They feel like um, they um, they don't understand some things culturally about what they're supposed to do and not supposed to do. And the beauty of a a Christ follower coming alongside of them and just saying, here, let me show you, even in the simple things of life, opens up incredible opportunities then to speak to them the most important thing that they need to understand, and that is that God loves them so much that he sent Jesus and that he wants to have a relationship with them. And I think that that's how it begins. I know you see that to be true in your own neighborhood, right? Yeah, I... First of all, we're talking about reaching people who don't know Jesus. And honestly, that doesn't start here. It starts out there. So when we understand that we are sent, we understand that God, we, we're, we're missionaries without leaving our driveway. And then we take a look at what's happening on our street. And then we, you know, we do, uh, maybe you have a, a, a Bible club in your house. We've done that in our house several times. Um, we'll invite neighbors. We've had 17 little kids in our house and one lady was walking down the street, and her daughter would point up at four. At four years old, she'd point to her house and say, Jonah, Jonah, fish. We made this tent. We put sardines in the tent, and we had them go into the mouth of Jonah and stay. And it was in our living Remind room. Remind me never to come to and Kids Club lasted, at your house. <laughs> and it lasted a long time. And so so what, I'm, what I'm trying to say is that we, it starts in out, right outside. Go outside your driveway, look for it to the right, to the left, mm-hmm. and across the street. And what are you doing to help understand the needs that are on your street? Yep. What are they doing? Um, I remember a friend of mine, really quick, a friend of mine came to me and said, Matt, we want to be missionaries. We're going to be missionaries in Bolivia. And they were turned down by the mission organization that they were going through. And he came to me and he said, you know why they turned us down? Because they said, if you're not doing here, what, you, what we want you to do over there, you can't go. So we sat down to talk about how could you make a difference as a missionary right where God sovereignly positioned and placed you for his glory at this time. Mm-hmm. So it's right here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, uh, I think there's a lot of needs even in the wealthiest of communities. I mean, I just got back from Haiti on Thursday, and you see the needs there are obvious because many of them are physical Spiritual needs as well, of course, but if you live in Northwest Cary, you look around and you're like, man, well, there's, you know, maybe not a whole lot of physical needs, but certainly people are spiritually so bankrupt, relationally bankrupt, um, and, and it just takes a little bit of conversation and a little bit of trust to kind of get to some of those needs, and, and they're, not, they're not far away, but they're well-guarded. You know, everybody wants to, you know, look like they've got it all together. Um, but I think a key is what, what I've tried to do in talking to people who aren't Christians yet um, and who seem to have everything is, you know, even, even for the very wealthy person, I think we all want the same exact thing deep down inside out of life. Even for wealthy people, they want to know that their life mattered for something more than just self-absorption. You know, that's why you see so many miserable people at the top of the business world or in Hollywood or whatever. People who have tons of money seem to be some of the most unhappy people. 
So I think to, to just share with them that like, well, you know what, God's blessed me, but even if I had nothing, I'd be, I'd be so uh, satisfied with life. And here's why. Here's the confidence that I have that nothing can shake. Not, you know, another major um, depression, um, you know, not, uh, you know, stock market crash. Here, here's where my confidence is. And you share that with somebody from the heart and that can make a, can make a big difference. Well, good. Well, we're just, uh, we're just about out of time here. Uh, there's one question that's actually come in twice. So somebody really wants to know this. What kind of hair products do you guys use? Hmm. I would say zero for you two, right? I mean, maybe. Not that they just don't need any. I mean, they that don't really, the style is such, I'm afraid to go to that length because I feel like my retreating hairline would be completely exposed. Well, Jerry and does, we talk about this. Jerry does kind of have a funny shaped head. I do. And so if he took my, it down I've too wanted low, to shave my head several times. Yeah. Like just as an Beck act has of begged him not submission to, right? to God, like you know, like a Nazarite <laughs> vow type of thing. Um, no, a Nazarite and, vow would cause you to keep your hair growing, right? right. Yeah, but there's also it. several kinds of Nazarite vows. Yeah, you should go with the longer one. I think there probably. there were some that were temporary and that ended by shaving their head. Yeah, ended. Yeah. So you're going to end the Nazarite vow, then. right? Yeah. Okay. So anyway, uh, but my wife is convinced that my head is very funny shaped and that it would not look good, and I would actually push people away from the gospel rather than. <laughs> draw them in so yeah anyway hey thank you guys i mean these are awesome there's 30 other questions that we didn't tackle looking through them some of them we've hit in previous weeks of you asked for it i would encourage you to listen to the podcast um and um some of which we're of course going to be hitting in 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 series coming up but man thank you guys for for being involved or stay second hour if you stay second hour that's true we could take the best ones and yeah so anyway, yeah, we love, we love this church family, and thanks for letting us do this and, and share with you guys.